Welcome to ENN Radio, a weekly podcast from Elon News Network that brings you the stories behind the stories. I'm Alex Hager. First up today, we look at the facts and figures behind claims of a pay disparity here at Elon. Posters popped up around campus recently making a claim that female faculty members were making less than their male counterparts. Our reporter Alexandra Schoenfeld took a look into the situation and she joins us now to talk about what she found. Alexandra, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. So this all started with a claim made by the posters. What did it say? So the posters were saying that female faculty were making an average of 6% less than their male colleagues. And uh, what I found is that the numbers do prove that. So these numbers that show the difference between salary earned by male faculty and female faculty, where is that data coming from? So the data was coming from the Integrated Post-Secondary Education Data System, which is a government service that collects stats like this. And who did you talk to here on campus for the story? So I talked to Catherine Bush, who's a biology professor here at Elon, and she's been kind of at the forefront of Elon Faculty Forward. Um, And she talked a lot about not just specifically pay gap disparity that she's seen, but also disparity in different opportunities that she felt she wasn't given that some of her colleagues were given, um, different funding that she wasn't having access to. Um, And she, you know, being a professor in the STEM field, she kind of looks at her classes and, you know, she said that one of her classes has 92 percent female. And she thinks, you know, this is great. This is what we wanted. We wanted more females in STEM. And then she looks at them and she thinks, wow, great, you're going to go and you're going to be paid as much as your male colleagues. And then she kind of pauses and realizes, wow, you know, at the university where you're being taught, that's not happening. And that's kind of what pushed her to speak out about this. So you mentioned Elon Faculty Forward there, and I want to stop and talk about that for a second. That is a group of Elon faculty who are attempting to get together and form a union here on campus. And if you want to know more about that, we actually did a whole segment on it on an episode of the podcast a few months ago. So definitely check that out if you want to know more about Elon Faculty Forward. But that brings us to this discussion about the pay disparity. How does the union fit into all this? So the union will push for more transparency from the school. And what Catherine Bush was talking about when she talked about this was that, you know, it'll just give that urge to Elon to say, hey, you need to make this information available to all of your faculty. Um, Because Elon, as a private university, doesn't have that obligation that, you know, a public university would have. And, you know, on top of that, it will also give faculty more security, you know, more security to speak out about things that they're unhappy with in their job. You know, Catherine Bush was very transparent in that she has a privilege and that she can come out and, you know, have these complaints because her husband has a good paying job. And, you know, let's say she got fired tomorrow, her and her family would be okay. But she acknowledges that there are a lot of people on this campus who don't have that same experience and really need this job. So you have some very vocal supporters of this union, and now some of them are coming out and expressing their discontents with a pay disparity here. What is the school saying in response? So we got a response from Provost Stephen House, and he basically said that, you know, it's not so black and white, that you can't just simply look at these numbers and say that it's based on gender, that there are so many other variables at play here. And one of the big ones he pointed out was a lot of times what we see happen is that it's simply professors who've been at Elon longer are getting paid more. And that just so happens that those professors are oftentimes men. So we've got people from the union effort saying that there is the significant pay disparity and you have people from the school saying that, yes, there might be, but it's not what it looks like. What's the takeaway here? I mean, whose argument holds up more? I think they both make really good points. I mean, I think the discussion is not over. It's going to continue on. The union has a vote coming up uh, that will actually decide if they will be officially recognized as a union here on campus. 
um, you know, the data shows that women are getting paid less. I mean, that's the numbers are there, but I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, they're getting paid less because they're women. I think there are other things at play there. Um, but both sides definitely have a strong argument. That is reporter Alexandra Schoenfeld, who took a look at the claim that female faculty at Elon make less than their male counterparts. You can check out her full story on elonnewsnetwork.com and in copies of The Pendulum on newsstands across campus. Alexandra, thanks for being here. Thank you. Venezuela is in times of turmoil. The economy is unraveling. There's no food on the shelves in grocery stores. Crime is rampant and people are desperate. And here, thousands of miles away, Elon students who call Venezuela home are left watching from afar. I mean, you go outside and there's everywhere people eating out of the trash and like in very bad situation and just suffering because they don't have medicine and things like that. And the clinics or the hospitals are horrible. That's Emiliana Lanz, a senior who's from Caracas, the nation's capital. Trouble in Venezuela has been brewing since 2013, when current president Nicolas Maduro took power after the death of Hugo Chavez. Since then, corruption and mismanagement have led to extreme inflation, destroying the economy and forcing millions of people to leave the country. But for Lanz, her family is still there and always on her mind. It's a struggle because obviously you're worried, but then at the same time, you're here worrying about your studies and everything. So you need to try to find a balance between like worrying about your family, like making sure they're fine and everything, but then at the same time worrying about what you're doing here, what's going on here. So it's hard sometimes to find that line, but yeah, I'm just trying to remain hopeful that everything's going to be fine. Even if things turn out fine, they're far from fine right now. The inflation has made it difficult to find food, and in desperation, some have turned to violence. Because of that, people say it's unsafe to go out on the streets. But it wasn't always like that. Lan said she lived a normal childhood, but kids who are growing up there today are facing a very different reality. Yeah, people are just very stuck in their homes. Like, I think kids right now are probably growing up in a horrible situation, sadly, because they're not getting what they should get, like the experiences they should get as a kid playing outside and doing all these fun things that they're not getting. Ricardo Blom is a junior, also from Caracas. He came to the U.S. for high school and college, and the last time he went back home was a short trip to get his visa about a year and a half ago. But all he could do was go to his house, go to the embassy, and get back to the airport, all in a bulletproof car. Like, I'm not allowed to go back. Like, I can, but it's not safe for, like, me to go back. Um, which is terrible. I mean, I mean, not many Americans can envision that, like not being able to like go to their own house and just hang out in their house. Here in the U.S. and around the world, headlines have painted a dire picture of the situation in Venezuela. While the accounts are an accurate description of what's happening now, Blum says they miss out on so much of what makes him proud to be Venezuelan. Everything that's on the news is just, it's just dark. It's all negative news. There's nothing good about it. Um, no one talks about Venezuela as like a like a rich oil country. How like. We, you know, we have a, a wonder of the world, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. Like, no one says that anymore, um, which sucks. But lately, there's been an emergence of hope. Juan Guaido, an opposition leader, pronounced that he was the country's legitimate president, and it gave Venezuelans reasons to believe that things could turn around. That surge of hope was felt all the way up here in Elon. We had the bar just, like, just hugging each other, like, almost crying, you know, because we thought, like, after 20 years, 22 years of this, 
this government that we were finally done. People down in Venezuela have been taken to the streets to protest Maduro and usher in change. Lance says although it's unsafe, she wishes she was there to join the movement. But she knows that once Maduro's gone and the country can start getting back to normal, she'd jump at the opportunity to be there and see it firsthand. We joked that um, this girl from Venezuela and I, that whenever Maduro, like, gets um, taken out of power, I guess, we're going to go and, like, go back home and, like, fly there the next day. Like, whenever that happens, we're going to go the next day. Because um, it would be awesome. Alex Hager, ENN Radio. That'll do it for this week's episode of ENN Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to check out elonnewsnetwork.com for all the news you need to know when we're not on the air. You can catch our weekly television broadcasts on Monday nights at 6 and pick up a copy of The Pendulum on Wednesday mornings. We'll be back next week with more stories from campus and beyond. In the meantime, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search for ENN Radio. I'm Alex Hager. Have a great weekend.